Hello, welcome back to On Connection. My name is Emma Rose Connolly, and if you aren't familiar with the podcast or Conversant, we are a community of people committed to awakening the world to the power and joy of authentic human connection and conversation. We believe this is an underattended to part of organizational life, but is the leverage point for achieving results while caring for the humanity of those caring for and executing on your goals. This, we understand, is a new standard for leadership, and on this podcast, we are continually exploring all of the qualities, skills, and focuses that live within that standard. We also think it's important to bring a multi-generational perspective to those conversations so that we are building an enduring definition of leadership that includes the valuable insights from leaders past, present, and future. We are kicking off 2023 with a very special episode with a very special guest, Dr. Deborah Clary. Deborah is a social scientist with three decades of experience with Fortune 100 companies, including Frito-Lay, Coca-Cola, Jack Daniels, and Humana. She started her career as a route driver for Frito-Lay in Detroit, and since then has expanded her business acumen from operations and marketing strategy to board governance and talent development. She holds a doctorate from George Washington University and is the recipient of the Ralph Stone Leadership Award for Exemplary Leadership. A few years ago, she began passionately researching curiosity after being asked if she thought curiosity was something that can be learned. Since then, she has become a thought leader on the connection between leadership and curiosity and has shared her expertise with over 10,000 people. Most recently, she's been hard at work leading the development of an assessment and curiosity index that can be utilized at the organizational level, generating valuable insights for leadership development and culture. Her talents don't stop there, however. She's also an author, speaker, award-winning film producer, and stand-up comedian. I know. I'm linking an article in the show notes that she wrote that shares some of the essential takeaways from her research, and I'll share a few of them with you now. First, curiosity is a great predictor of achievement. Curiosity is a state, not a trait, meaning it can be fostered and encouraged. Curiosity is contagious. And factors that contribute to our tendency to become more incurious in adulthood include, one, becoming experts in a particular field, so we get our degrees and specialize in particular skill sets, and therefore become very reliable for seeing and thinking via a particular mindset, but not so much for expanding beyond that mindset. Two, we face the pressure of time. When we're running from thing to thing and filling every possible minute with something productive, we aren't likely to be asking questions and creating room for curious inquiry. If you're a regular listener, you know we are big fans of looking into the definitions, etymology, and historical use of words. So, the Merriam-Webster definition for curiosity is the desire to know or interest leading to inquiry. Curious, the adjective, means marked by desire to investigate and learn. It can also mean an interest in other concerns. Read nosy and throughout history has been used in a negative sense, pointing to someone's prying or an idle or vain interest in worldly affairs. Which would make sense, given the old adage, curiosity killed the cat, which has never really sounded like a good thing to me. However, there's a fun fact for you here. 
That phrase, curiosity killed the cat, was actually first seen in a play in 1598 by Ben Jonson and in Shakespeare's Much Ado About Nothing, which was written around the same time. However, the phrase was care killed the cat. The first time it was seen using the word curiosity was in a book of Proverbs that was published in 1873, so more than 200 years later. In the Shakespearean context, care was often used to mean concern, worry, or disquiet. Care and curiosity do come from the same Latin root, cura, meaning care or concern. So think curate, cure, procure. In the late 14th century, curiosity was used to mean careful attention to detail or skilled work- workmanship. In our work, we talk about a universal principle that all human beings have purposes, things they're caring for, concerns, things they're worried about, and circumstances that they're living in and influenced by. In researching all of this for this episode, it hit me that maybe the cat's demise was meant to encourage some awareness of what is capturing our attention. What are you caring for? What are you focused on? Does your disquiet and your worry have you, or are you caring for something with intention? We often say it's far more valuable to focus on what you're for rather than what you're against. And perhaps Shakespeare and his friend Ben were advising that we not be so focused on what we're worried about, but on something more expansive. Curiosity, going back to the definition of a desire to know, is a tenet of evolution, of innovation, of growth, and, as Deborah has seen in her research, achievement. It's an innate human tendency, and one that, when encouraged and tapped into, can generate new ideas and understandings, yes, but also connection and engagement. In this episode, we explore a number of questions with Deborah, including what are the behaviors of a curious leader? What kills a culture of curiosity? How do we become and develop curious leaders when it feels like we have no time? And what does curiosity have to do with building cultures of inclusion and belonging? So with that, I hope you enjoy this conversation about curiosity and leadership with our guest, Dr. Deborah Clary. All right, everyone, welcome to On Connection, another episode, and it is the beginning of 2023, and we're so excited to start the year with a special guest. So Robin is here with me, and we are welcoming Dr. Deborah Clary. Thank you so much for joining us, Deborah. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Of course. Um, so Deborah is uh, currently an associate VP at Humana. Um, she's a social scientist that has, uh, in the recent years, been very passionately curious about the relationship between curiosity and leadership. And since her exploration, she's actually shared some of her research with over 10,000 people, you said, so far. Um yes. She's also developed an assessment to help measure curiosity and a curiosity index um, that you can use to see what the culture of curiosity is within your organization. And you said that this started for you about four or five years ago. What got you intrigued in this topic, Deborah? Yeah, I was uh, sitting in a, a meeting in the boardroom with our CEO and somebody was presenting some information 
and he turned to me quietly and he said, do you think curiosity can be learned or is it innate? And I said, I don't know, but I'm curious to go find out. And so I took the next week or so, dug into it, and then came back and shared with him that um, it can be learned and it is contagious. And he got excited about that. And we started on this path at Humana uh, to help our leaders create a culture of curiosity. Beautiful. Deborah, and- we've had the pleasure of knowing each other for a number of years. We'll just leave it there. <laughs> and so you've done quite a bit of work with us over the years. I'd love to hear just from you, what had you want to be here with us today mm-hmm. on this particular topic? Well, when I began to go down this path of really understanding curiosity, it occurred to me that so much of the work that Conversant does is around curiosity. Uh, It may not be labeled quite like that, but it is around conversations and creating conversations where people show up and are confident um, that it's a safe space, um, that they can be um, uh, open with their ideas and that they know that their leader uh, wants to hear their ideas. And so it occurred to me, wow, there's such a great connection between the work that's been done in your organization and and all over the globe, there is a connection here. Well, we're grateful uh, that you chose to come and spend this time with us today. So just up front, thank you. Yeah. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah. Well, Deborah, how have you come to define curiosity out of your research? Yeah, I think in, in the basic terms is curiosity is about being genuinely interested in others and their situation. It's mm-hmm. about having this openness to understand that which you don't know or that which you want to understand more about. Mm. Robin, what about for you personally? I know we've been in some of these preparation conversations and learning from Deborah already. So we've been influenced, but um, what about you? Well, it's interesting because, and we'll we'll get into this maybe in a few minutes. We at Conversant talk about wonder often and the distinction between wonder and curiosity and that really curiosity is the natural and necessary element for wonder to exist, right? And so wonder is, I, I when I define wonder, and I think there's a more technical definition, but it's the combination of awe and curiosity. So can I be awe, can I be curious and then be, find awe in that learning uh, uh, that I get from the curiosity? So for me, I think curiosity really is the, um, ability to be interested in something other than me, mm-hmm. yeah. right? So it could be others or, or a topics, but something that's a sort of outside of this body. Yeah. And you, now that you say that, what I'm wondering about is if, if wonder is a feeling mm-hmm. and curiosity is an action. Oh, beautiful. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. That's mm-hmm. yeah. I, yes. I like that. Well, although, we, although, and we say I'm wondering, right? I'm curious about, and I'm wondering, right? So it is. It's interesting. We'll have to do a little bit of homework on that and see. Yeah, it's. Um, yeah, I'm curious about it for sure. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah. yeah. Rose, um, for me, um, well, I mean, I think. I think you, uh, Deborah, used the word openness. I think so much of it is just about staying open to the possibility that I don't already know everything. <laughs> um, that's such a limiting mindset when we assume 
that we know so much or that we're complete in our research or knowledge or awareness of something and um, being open to the possibility that we're never going to know all of it, I think keeps us open to new opportunities, new ways of understanding or seeing a situation and being able to like turn it over and see what else there is to learn from, identify about whatever the situation or relationship, et cetera, is that we're in. So that's at least not necessarily a definition, but a value of it, I suppose. Um, and Deborah, what, why do you think it's important to leadership? What, why does it feel like such an important thing to be telling people about today? Yeah, I, I think it's because of the, this hyper-connected world that we live in and how fast things are, are moving. And that, you know, I think the, the leaders that are practicing it in the best way possible are those that are continuously in curiosity um, to say, is there a different way to do this? Is there a different way to meet the needs of our customer? Have the needs of our customers shifted? Have the needs of our employees shifted? And I think it's like those that want to be um, most um, accomplished and to really drive performance for their organization are going to want to practice curiosity. Mm. Robin, what would you say? Well, I think we talked about this a little earlier, but in, in particular in the both the fast moving and also the complexity of the world that we live in, right? Just the problems that we're here to solve. If I think I've got all the answers, I am so not paying attention to the, to the world around us, right? That the problems that business leaders are solving today are some of the most intractable, co- complex ones um, that have ever existed. And any way that we've done it in the past is probably going to be insufficient if it's uh, very quickly, if it's not already. And so it really does require us to get curious about what got us to here, what, what's going to be necessary going forward. But particularly given, like you said, sort of the speed. And I also think it's the complexity, you know, you know, that better than anybody being in health, in the healthcare industry, talk about one of the most complex places to be. Yeah. And, you know, and having said that, as I think about this, you know, to be curious is also about being silenced or being in um, in thoughts with yourself, right? You have to ask yourself questions. You can certainly ask questions of others, but it typically begins with ourselves and saying, hmm, I wonder why that is occurring or what could we be doing differently? You know, those you're you're asking that. And then when you sit with yourself in silence, if you will, is when answers can come. Um, and when you're talking with your employees, those that you have the privilege of leading, again, open into questions about what have you thought about or what are some of your ideas that they know that they you care about them and you care about what they're thinking. Well, and mm. what what that brought up for me is in that in that being in curiosity with yourself is the what am I missing? What assumptions am I making? Right. Like, so it's really just starting to question your own thinking enough to get curious, right. To, to mm-hmm. about not having an answer. Um, the, what am I missing is a question that for me tends to be really helpful when I get really certain about something and somebody has a different point of view. So like, I must be missing something that they see that I don't see. So that question for me has been a really helpful one around the, how do I get out of that? Emeros, your point about like that certainty with myself to get mm. curious about how somebody else might be seeing it or the perspective that they're bringing to it. 
And how powerful it is when you can ask somebody that has no reference to what you're working on, that comes in with a really fresh perspective. And you may have heard this story. It, it's um, you know curiosity and action learning are, are you know closely related because you're you're you know you're in process about learning and trying to solve a problem. And um, I remember hearing the story about a group of engineers that were trying to solve a pretty significant problem, and they had mapped it on the wall, and they had been there all day and they couldn't figure out what was missing. Um, and so they ordered a pizza and the Domino's pizza delivery guy comes in and he's handling them the pizza and they go, wait, before you go, and they explain what was on the, the wall and they said, what are we missing? And the Domino pizza guy came up with the answer because he had a fresh perspective. He didn't, you know, he wasn't um, attached to the outcomes, but he said, oh, I can see it. And so sometimes having a fresh perspective and being open to ask somebody that isn't connected to it to say, what do you, what do you think mm -hmm. about this? That's so great. And it, you know, um, the premise for this podcast was really about having a multi-generational perspective into leadership and work. Um, and I feel like that is so critical to leveraging the value that's available across generational perspectives because mm -hmm. so often you know I think it's getting better but I think there's a lot that can be learned from the people who might be newer in their careers or might be less experienced or come from a different educational background than than you than an expert right in exactly what you're looking for and it kind of comes to that whole like if you're a hammer everything is a nail, you know, if, if you're an expert, you start seeing the world through a very narrow aperture, which mm -hmm. is really valuable in certain situations. But then in others, it might be helpful to get somebody else that might see it differently and explore different solutions. But I think that's especially true in um, getting all of the insight that's available with younger people, people in operational roles, people in, I can't remember. Robin, I, I don't remember what client it was, but some years ago when um, doing a system map of influence in the organization, realizing that the EA or the, oh no, it was the intern, that the intern was the most influential person in the organization um, because of how many people they touched. You know, you, you see so much, you see the system sides of things, the operational side, you get a touch of the finance, you get a little bit of the you know, logistical project management kind of side, but you're also in touch with the circumstances that are affecting the executives and why certain things might be more challenging than they need to be or observing the different relationships and dynamics across the organization. And so that intern actually had the most valuable insight, but it's not where you would naturally go. Yeah, yeah I love that. You know, the, the research shows that children ask 396 questions a day. So that's like a question almost every two minutes, if you will. And if you have young children or you've had young children, you know what I'm talking about. And maybe if they can't speak, they might be pointing because they're interested in something that qualifies as a question. But as adults, we ask about five a day. 
And, you know, that simply could be, um, you know, what's for dinner or where do you want to go for dinner, right? So we become um, less curious the older that we get. And some of those reasons are, is you think about it as a five, six-year-old and you're going to school, you're told to be seen and not heard. You know, you are you are conditioned to um, ask questions in a very specific way, you know, and, and we're taught, you know, curiosity killed the cat, um, right? And so, and don't open Pandora's box, right? So we are taught to be less curious. And then we go on to university, we come out, we're experts. And so there are like three reasons why we become less curious in the workplace. First off, we now have a degree that we've paid for. So we've become an expert. We're an accountant, we're a lawyer, right? We want to stay in that lane. We're paid for that expertise, right? You are paying me for what I learned. And then the third is we have time constraints. So when an associate or employee comes in and they're they're looking for direction, we give it to them versus sitting back and developing them by asking questions to pull it out of them, like that intern that you just talked about. And so we see why we become incurious. Mm. What's really interesting about that for me, uh, Deborah, is uh, I've said this for a long time, is that for leaders, there's a moment in our careers that nobody really prepares us for. Right. When, and for me, this is because uh, I've, uh, I was the engineer, right? So that was in the, maybe not that room, but in rooms like that, um, <laughs> where you are an individual contributor who you are actually, you are being paid to contribute your ideas and your sort of solutions and answers. Like, so there is a point in your career where that is actually what your job is and what you're being paid to do. And that when you become a leader or a manager, nobody tells you that's not actually the game you're playing anymore. That it's no longer about you having the answers. It's about you helping the room get smarter. And that there's this moment in, in careers where nobody pulls you aside and says, hey, you know, it's you're on a different playing field. There's actually, you have a different role in the conversations now. And so I think that's why you see so many managers and leaders behaving exactly how you just described, where they're so habituated to give an answer. Yeah. Mm. So somebody comes with a question and they... Nobody has ever said to them, that's not your job anymore, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we we get sucked into that trap. And bro, sorry, yeah. I think you off. Yeah, yeah. And just to, you know, to to build on that, it's, you know, if you don't have the culture in which people feel comfortable in a large setting or in a group setting to ask a question, you know, then you're 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 gonna be fearful. I don't want to look stupid. Uh, I don't want someone to get mad at me. So we don't ask questions and we don't ask questions. Um, we don't get smarter. The room doesn't get smarter, right? You have one individual or two individuals that are just giving the direction and then people march off and, and do that. And it's just, we're not in a world where we could afford to do that anymore. We need the best thinking of every individual. Right. Well, so that brings up what, what would you say you've observed are the behaviors of a leader that is curious and a leader that's driving a culture of curiosity? What would it actually look like day to day? You mentioned yeah. asking questions, but yeah, and I think it is one of um, first. It's having you know role modeling that you are a learner, right? That you are open to learning because, as Robin said, you don't know it all, um, and so it's about you want to learn it all. I don't know it all, but I want to learn it all, and so that would be the first thing is role modeling that that you're a learner, and you know role modeling a learner means that 
you are um, sharing things that you're learning, regardless of what category it's in, but you know, that you're reading this book or you're going to this class or you're taking this or you're taking that. So you're role modeling that I'm a learner and then you're supporting others in your organization to learn as well. And also then the piece that you just mentioned is open-ended questions, you know, questions around what are your ideas around this? How long have you been thinking about this? How can I support you in coming up with the best solution? So that the you're building the confidence of that employee that I believe in you, I trust in you, and I can support you in coming up with the best solution. You know, it, it's often been said that, you know, those closest to the customer are least consulted. And you think about it, those are the ones that know the most about our customers. And so, you know, getting connected to the people that are close to the customer, to the market is helpful. Mm. Really practically, we we adopted a practice, I don't know, maybe about 18 months ago, MRO's going to check me on that, where when someone new joins the organization, when they've been here somewhere between 30 and 60 days, we ask them in a large setting to say, what have they learned about the organization, both positive and negative? Because we've said sort of the same thing, Deb, that it's really easy to get sucked in and to be swimming in your own water and not even see the water. And so we just ask them to, sh- and we, you know, we want those fresh perspectives and ideas and observations. And we, it's on top of mind for me because we just had three new team members join and they just, we just had this conversation with them on Tuesday. So I think you didn't say this in there, but I think embedded in there is also how you respond to the answers to the questions is also Mm going to matter as a leader. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. that if you remain uh, open to to learning and with the heart of saying, well, we can get better. They have some ideas or they have some observations that in the ways in which we can get better. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yep, always exactly. that to to model it. Yeah. That makes me think too that um you know, just thinking of the three new hires that got to do that and share and people, you know, they prepare for this and that you know, they had a spot at our on our global monthly agenda. Um, and they were so quick to lean in and willing to share very transparently what they thought, positive and negative, like Robin said. And it makes me wonder if part of why that was a little easier for them or why they were willing is because this is now a routine that we're committed to. So they've seen another new hire share what they thought. And before that, that person shared, saw somebody else share what they thought. And so that there's consistency. It's not just going to somebody and saying, or going through the motions. You know, I think yeah. we, they've seen us model that we take it seriously and we do have an open ear and um, we're willing to hear it. And so the longevity of whatever that promise is, I think is pretty important to the cultural part, like you're, you're pointing to, Deborah. Yeah. Yeah. What would you say kills... A culture of curiosity. So, you know, in, you know, this was the practice I'm trying to change, but in, in a lot of cases, you know, a leader has been promoted because they had done that job before they became an expert at that before. And what typically happens is a employee comes into the office, they put the problem on the table and they're both looking at the problem. And then the leader tells them what to do. But I think a real evolved leader, one that is curious, will focus on the individual, you know, the employee, and the employee focuses on the problem. And you do that by asking a series of questions so that you're really 
building that talent to be able to solve things in the future for themselves. And it also builds their confidence that you you trust in them. And the work that you all do around trust is really extraordinary. You know, trust, you know, is a pattern of interactions over time. And so as a leader to stay uh, constant on that. Now, you know, sometimes we are really stressed as leaders or we 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 mess up. The opportunity is to go back and say, I'd like to have a do-over. I don't like the way we had this conversation. I want to do better. And you have that vulnerability to say, I'm not perfect and I, I want to I want to do over. And it's amazing how you just look at your employee and they light up to say, wow, she admits that she's not perfect, you know, that she's, you know, she, she wants to do better. I have found that to be so powerful. Mm-hmm. Deborah, in that, the thing that I was thinking about is you said at the start about people not having enough time, right? And like uh, Emma Rose and I have been in conversations, a number of conversations this week, the phrase Emma Rose has been, has uh, brought to my attention is time poor, right? And um, I am wondering what your response is to the leader in that moment who's like, yeah, but I already know the answer. It'd just be faster for me to tell them. Mm-hmm. Wait, how do you, what's your response to that. I can't imagine that you haven't heard some version of that. <laughs> yeah. And it's, you know, and, and sometimes leaders won't, they, they won't even say it's that I don't have time. They, they might use that as their explanation of why they did it. But the reality is they think they know best, right? I, I know the best way to do this. Why do we have to mess around with the conversation? This is about speed, getting to market or whatever it might be. And I would say, you know, the the leader's role isn't to execute. The leader's role is to develop the talent, right? So if you give them an answer, you've solved one problem. But if you help them to figure out how to solve problems, you know, the, you know, the, 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 the kind of the mechanics of solving is then they can go on and and build their confidence to do that um, as well. Mm. What's that whole building the muscle, which I think is so critical. And, And I think the other thing, and you didn't say this, but it's just caused this thought for me is it starts to build better leaders in the organization because now they've had better role models about what leadership looks like. So this whole notion of, you know, working again, I worked in the technical field. So this, what you're saying, it happened a lot where the person that was more senior had seen all the things, knew all the things, could would just tell you to go, do, here's what to go do. But then the result was, all the leaders that got promoted after that, that's all they ever knew about leadership was like, you're the one that tells people what to go do. So when I finally had a a manager that wasn't that was one of the ways that I learned like, oh, there's actually a different way to do this. Like you don't have to just have all the answers. Um, And so it's the, I think it's those leaders that actually start to cultivate that in their teams that then are the ones that are growing, are really responsible for growing that culture and taking care of it. Um, it also makes it a whole lot more fun, right? Cause you can, you actually have the possibility. We had a conversation right before we were here with you where we were innovating on a few ideas of our own. And it was really fun to say, well, what if we did it this way? Or what if we did it that way? Even in places, um, things that we've done for a really long time in a particular way and being, and I said at the end, how exciting it was for me as someone who had done it a particular way for a long time to be like, oh, wait, there's more ideas here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think yeah. that that like that's the other thing I might just add into that is not only is it like smart, but like maybe it'll be more fun for you also. Yeah, that's absolutely. You know, and I, I've heard it said that um, we don't have a constraint on time. We just have our priorities 
not in the right order, right? And so if your priority of a, as a leader is to develop talent so that they can get things done, it shifts your mindset in terms of what is the expectation of a, of a leader. Mm-hmm. And to your point, Robin, you've said this a couple of times is that we, we don't teach people how to be leaders in, in that way. And when we come into organizations, like you all have said, three new employees, you look around and you look at the culture and how things are get done and you say, Oh, this is the way it's done here. And you just, you don't question it. Some don't. And you just keep, and that's how cultures get um, just the circular um, environment, if you will. But it's those that are curious to say, maybe we can do better. Uh, Emma Rose, I love the way that you said that. We asked people, or maybe it was you, Robin, like after they've been here, you know, 30, 60 days, you know, what are, what are you making of the organization? And as people, we want to um, make sense of the world around us. It's called sense-making. And when you can't make sense of it, then you just accept it. And you say, oh, this is just the way it's done. And so, you know, this um, ability for leaders to be open to hear, what do you think? Mm -hmm. Well, I'm recalling from, we had a preparation conversation for this where we just got to pick Deborah's brain and have fun for a little while before recording this. But um, in some of the notes we had from that, we had talked about curiosity as an elixir for belonging. Mm-hmm. And it, that seems pretty relevant to what you were just saying, but what would you have to say about that, about why, why is it connected to belonging? Yeah. And I, I, I think about it in in trying to make it relevant today in the sense of right now what's really important is inclusive leadership. You know, we're 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 wanting our leaders to have this inclusive um behavior if you will. And I think the secret elixir to inclusive leadership is curiosity, meaning that I'm genuinely interested in learning about others and their situation. And I actually just think it's the the cornerstone to great leadership. Mm. I think it gives people an opportunity. It, it's it's really, you know, we talk about walking in somebody else's shoes and like theoretically you can try to put yourself there, but really to understand and be curious about someone else's experience, how something feels or looks through their eyes, mm-hmm. as opposed to my judgment of how I think I would feel. Because that's the thing about walking in somebody else's shoes. I think it too often has us go to like, well, how would I feel if I was in that position, which is not the same as actually being curious about how that person feels in that situation situation, which I think is so necessary for inclusion and belonging is for us to get that we could have, I use my my sister and I, as an example, we had the exact same childhoods. We grew up in the same house. We had two very different experiences just because of who we are in the world about, I love to travel. She hates to travel. So she talks about being dragged around, schlepped is what she'll say, about being (laughs) schlepped or dragged along through uh, uh, the country. And I talk about the joy of that. And it's so interesting to have both had the same vacations and had such different recollections and experiences of it. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. and then it's, it's just recognizing that she that's her experience and that it's you it's accepting of that that's not something she enjoyed doing she doesn't enjoy doing it now and i i accept that i might try to encourage you here or there but i understand that that's just not your thing not your thing right well it's it's making me think about um robin and i just uh did the a recording for the podcast of 
about love and leadership. We're really as a company exploring love and leadership uh, and the relationship between those two things and how we'd like to talk about it in the world. And uh, we were just sharing. And those of you that are listening, you can go back and listen to that because it will have come out already. But um, our experiences with leaders through our careers that really stand out to us as an example of feeling a sense of love and care from them. Mm -hmm. And I think curiosity was a really big part of it, Robin. Like being curious about me beyond just the context of what you want from me right now or what you know the company needs from me right now, but curious about what might help or hurt my ability to do that. Curiosity about what I might be thinking about that task generally. Like, am I excited about it? Am I feeling daunted by it? Am I feeling like there might be another way? You know, just, I just think curiosity is a huge element of all those stories that we were sharing about our experiences of love at work too. Well, because in those cases in particular, it was curiosity. You know, I, I had said at the start that for me, curiosity is about something other than me. And in those cases, it was really curiosity about me. So somebody's expressing curiosity about me and what actually mattered to me and what I genuinely cared about that mm -hmm. I think led to that sense of belonging, um, Deborah, that you're talking about, right? So somebody actually sort of how I would say, given a shit, right? About how I see the world, how I feel about the world, what I what I would love to accomplish with my career, which doesn't have to doesn't have to look like what somebody else might want to accomplish with theirs and not making an assessment or a judgment about, well, you must want to, why must I want to <laughs> fill whatever, fill in the blank. Um, yeah, and so I think that's where that sort of came into play. Yeah, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm reminded of a, uh, of a story when my daughters were young. I mean, they were like six and eight. And I asked, asked each of them separately, like, how do you know I love you? Like, what do I do that lets you know I love you? And the one child, the seven-year-old said, oh, when you come to school and you're like, you talk to my teachers and, you know, you help me with my homework. So oh, fantastic. Then I asked the other one again, separately. And she said, that you would trust me that you would never come to school to check on me or talk to my <laughs> teachers. And I would have never known that had I asked. And so I, I did it in that way. Right. I, I trusted her. She did good schoolwork. And, and so, and it's the same with, you know, leadership in terms of asking your employee, um, how do you like to be led? You know, what mm -hmm. would I, what, what would I need to, what do I need to do more of? What do I need to do less of so that you can do your best work? And it's fascinating the answers that you will get. So if you have a team of 10, you're going to get 10 different answers. And then as a leader, you have to adapt. You have to make sense of that. And um, you want their best work. So they get the best results and that they're still thriving. Mm -hmm. That's really amazing. I love that. Well, and it kind of makes me think about too, um, we were talking in prep, Deborah, you actually asked the question, can you be too curious as a leader? Yeah. And I, I mean, I think the answer is, is yes. I know. And I, th I think that curiosity is a, is a continuum, you know, so if it starts, the scale starts at one and goes to 10, I think everyone on this planet has some sense of curiosity. Um, but if you are, uh, you know, 
wearing people out by asking too many questions and you're, you know, you're reading them and you should be able to pick up on them. Okay. I've gone, gone too far. And I've been in that situation where my daughters would bring home, you know, boyfriends and they say, mom, you get five questions and we're cutting you off. Because I would just be so interested, you know, what did your parents do? Where did you grow up? What did you write? And they go, you get five questions. And I say, all right, I'm going to think about my five best questions and I'm going to come at, come at them. Uh, you know, what's interesting about that. We had another conversation earlier this week. And I think part of that, and I have the same, by the way, not, they don't give me five, but I have something similar about the questions and how many questions I'm allowed to ask my, both my children. What I've noticed is that because sometimes I'm asking questions because I want the answer versus what's the thing they would love to talk about. That So like it's different about being curious about them as humans and what would they love to discuss versus something that I just want an answer to, mm-hmm. um, which I think is sort of is an interesting place to look at even when you're talking about whether it's um, kids or partners or colleagues or the problem, right? Like I was telling you all the story earlier about somebody who just wanted an answer because he wanted an answer, but it wasn't actually going to solve the problem at hand. Mm-hmm. So it's, I think it comes back to even inside that curiosity is the curiosity self-referential, like it's just for me, or do people get like it's curiosity in service of something that we're all in together? Mm-hmm. And maybe Deborah, that's where you sort of tip the scale going too far, you or I anyway, too far in one direction because we just yeah. we want to know the person. <laughs> yeah. And I I also think it's, you know, like you know, in a general relationship, you start asking questions. Like if you just met someone for the first time, you start asking questions to see what you have in common. Right. And then you might say, you know, Bob Johnson, he and I found out we both went to Michigan state and like instantly, like we love each other. Right. Cause we went to the same university and that's, mm-hmm. that's in the beginning of forming a relationship is ways in which you, you, you build trust and you see that this commonality. Um, but if the power was shifted, like a mother <laughs> asking a teenager, I could see where it would be really threatening and you need to be. <laughs> Like I, I even went as far as when they got older and they were thinking about, you know, serious relationships, I would have them take a personality test. (laughs) (laughs) I would get, sit them both down and say to my daughter, this is your personality. This is his personality. Here's where you're going to have synergies. Here's where you're going to have conflict. Any relationship can work, but you have to have this awareness that he's always going to be late or (laughs) whatever it might be. (laughs) <laughs> that's super Deborah, important. I'm so glad to know that I am not the only mom on the planet it, uh Everose knows that Grace listens Grace if you're out there see I am not the only one <laughs> well it's funny because you guys are talking about it as parents and I'm thinking about on dates like dating when people oh. when you're dating and somebody seems like they're asking maybe the same questions they would ask on any date or, you know, going through sort of like the ledger of the the questions that you're supposed mm-hmm. to ask. Um, and, or not asking questions at all. I think the worst dates I've been on have either been people who don't ask questions. And then you're thinking, why are we here <laughs> if you're not curious about me at all? But also when people ask them and it feels so soulless, like lacking in presence to the person that you're actually asking. Yeah. Um, But then, you know, that makes me think of, do you guys remember that article that came out? I think it was a New Yorker article like eight years ago or something about the 
was it 50 questions to fall in love or something like that? Something. And that they had the two strangers come together and ask each other the questions and that they experienced some, you know, loving relationship by the end of that, you know, some experience of love for that other person. But those questions are very, very open-ended, not hunting for an answer, mm-hmm. not searching for a specific thing, very exploratory. Um, so I wonder if there's something about that, the quality, the quality of the question that you're asking and the willingness for it to be something totally unexpected, which makes me think about wonder then, because if you're just going to be in awe of whatever the answer is, whatever it is, yeah, that's an appreciation. Yeah. Yeah. And and maybe it comes down to what's the intention, you know, to Robin's earlier point when I might've been grilling the boyfriends versus saying, I'm truly, (laughs) truly interested in who you are as a person and where you see your life going. And so if you're on a date, you know, as an individual that you're, you're just getting to know is the, is it in the heart to say, I'm truly interested in this finding out about this person, whether it leads to another date or not. Hey, they're human. I'm a human. I'm fascinated by what people see, see in the world. Right. Never. I think you said at some point in the conversation about curiosity being a mindset, right? And so I think, uh, and for those of you who are out there who have done any work with us, when we talk about the conversation meter, you know, you can ask questions that are below 50 on the conversation meter, right? That are really questions out of sincerity. So if you think about your example of grilling uh, boyfriend, those are questions out of sincerity where you're trying to get an answer to something, right? As opposed to, am I, and you can do that. Leaders I see do this all the time where they are asking a question, but it's, it's, it either feels like a gotcha or it feels like trying to get someone to see something that I want them to see without telling them I want them to see it. And so it feels sort of manipulative in the background Mm -hmm. as opposed to questions that are genuinely curious. Like I actually, don't have an opinion yet about the answer. I don't have a judgment yet about the answer. I just really am wondering and examining what could be possible in, in, in thinking about this differently is very different than like wanting an answer to something. And I think that that's yeah. one of the differences in there. Yeah. And, I, you know, people, well, in you all in the uh, CCI course, when you're working with horses, you know, that uh, oh, horses are reading your energy and uh, they know if they can trust you or not. And it's the same with people, although we sometimes won't recognize it or we 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 just say, oh, that that can't be right. But if you're going into a conversation and you have those kind of intents of, I just want the answer, but I'm going to pretend like I'm interested. That individual feels it. They they may not know why they're feeling off or not heard, but like, hey, the person was looking at me, they were nodding their head. Um, but if it isn't the right intention, people will know it. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and Rose, I think that's the, your dating example, right? Like, so somebody was told, ask questions when you go on a date. And so they go, okay, I'm going to run through this list of questions I'm going to ask. And it feels perfunctory because it is, right? right. Yeah. <laughs> As opposed to, I actually want to be with this human and understand who they are um, on the planet and what where we might have a commonality, uh, Deborah, to your point. And I think, again... Well, dating and uh, leadership are not the same thing. There's lots of analogies in that we are all trying to connect as humans. So, right. Yeah. Are you when, I go into, when I go into dating situations, I say, this may not be the right person, but he might know somebody. Hey, there you go. Well, and that's the being open, right? The sort of, I think 
Well, two things. One, Robin, you just said about being with. I think presence is such a huge element of this. Like, are you really present with this person in this moment, in this context, and to what the moment calls for, and to what that person might be feeling, or any of the possibilities therein? And then I also think the non-attachment to the outcome, which Deborah, you were saying, you know, I think the best dates I've been on, just to carry through that analogy, have been the people who like showed up not assuming any sort of romantic connection and not with a rule book guide to the good guy's guide to dating or anything like that. But um, just trying to get to know me as a person, like truly in that moment, let's explore whether or not we connect. And if not, then we had a nice meal or had a good drink and see you later. And it just feels so much more um, authentic to the situation rather than leading the witness or being so like gripping so tightly to what you're hoping happens, um, which is also an act of presence. So I also think it again is really analogous with leadership because I think so often Leaders are asking questions because they want something to happen as opposed to being really curious about the the answer to the question and being present with that person. Mm -hmm. I think the other thing, um, Deborah, I'd love for you to comment on because we had an interesting conversation about this as well in that like too curious, when is it too curious? So this was sort of one version of it. And in when we think about this, as curiosity as a business asset, right? Like, is there a moment in business where curiosity become changes from asset to liability? And just what, like, what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I, d- I definitely think that it, if, um, if the, the scale is tipped to too much curiosity and that you're actually not providing direction, there's not actually action getting done, um, then I think you might be wasting the corporate time, if you will. So I do think that there is a, a balance and it does come down to the, the individual, right? So if you're speaking with somebody that might be an engineer that just wants the answer is you might have a five minute curious conversation. If it's somebody else that you know really wants to explore, that might be a 30 minute conversation, if you will. But as a leader, it's knowing who am I talking to and what is it they need from me now uh, in order to really help them. Uh, so it is a, it's certainly a, a balance. Mm-hmm. Well, I think one of the things we were talking about earlier, Emma was you know, I think you had an observation about like, what is it time for now? Mm-hmm. Right. And so what, what are the moments when it's time for curiosity in a conversation and when is it time potentially not? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, and know, I think, yeah, go ahead. Well, I think what we were talking about, you know, those of you that have listened or done work with us know about our model, the cycle of value, but that approach is really about aligning deeply acting quickly. So align sufficient to take the next action and then adjust often. And I think curiosity is really essential and valuable, especially during alignment and then adjustment. But that requires you to still be taking note of things while you're taking the action, right? Like you're sort of just notating, oh, well, that happened and I wasn't expecting it or I learned this thing. So you're still learning through the action, but then it's the did we sit down and get present to what we learned? Like, are we sharing what we learned and what we noticed? And that's the adjustment part of the cycle. But um, during alignment, there's uh, three conversations in alignment, one of which being invent. And in an event conversation, you want people to be as curious and creative and open and willing to share as possible without constraint. 
right? Like constraint just being focused on whatever the purpose and intended results we want to see, but allowing people to, you know, be as wild in their thinking as possible and knowing that then there will be a time for decision-making and investment of resources that is going to have to, is going to require more guidance. And if you want people to take the action that you're hoping for, then they need clarity in order to deliver on that expectation. Um, so, you know, the clarity, curiosity, balance might be what's what's there at that flipping point from alignment to action. But it's knowing what the moment calls for. So like you were saying, Deborah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Because I think it's, I think the other thing to add into that, uh, uh, like plus 100 on all those uh, points, MROs, it's also being present to what the situation calls for. So if the, I always say, if the fire alarm goes off in the building, like a whole lot of curiosity about all the various ways to get out of the building may not be what's called for. It may be follow the person who is the expert out of the building, not a whole debate about somebody else who might have a creative idea. Now you might need at some point their creative idea, but when the fire alarm first goes off, let's just follow the person that we've already said. And, you know, so I think in business situations, being thoughtful about what does the situation call for, right? So knowing both the moment, because there are sometimes moments where we're going to do it the way we've done it, because that's actually what's needed right this moment in time. And how do we know? And I think that's sort of some of the art of leadership of knowing when you have put yourself in a corner that you don't need to, right? So where you've said, like, we absolutely can't have to do it a particular way. And when are there times when maybe that actually is absolutely what's necessary? Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I think the answer is discernment. Yeah. Right. 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 I think so. Right. Um, yeah. Well, and, and Deborah, I'm curious too, that, you know, well, I'm curious, haha. Um, <laughs> you have had a big part of your exploration in this be applied in the Humana context. What has been the benefit or what have you noticed in having this be an organizational exploration that you've been leading? Yeah, I, I mean, I think it is it is certainly um, enhanced our leadership practice. You know, our engagement numbers are extremely high. And I think that comes from people understanding that somebody cares about them and somebody is interested in what they think. So they feel heard, they feel seen, they feel cared for. And, you know, to me, that comes down to, you know, asking questions where they can bring their best self forward. Mm. And you also mentioned, and I want to make sure it gets in, that the index that you've created is going to have a life outside of Humana at some point, right? Do you want to share anything about what the future holds for that? Yes. um, I had originally put together a, what I called a a culture index on curiosity. And, you know, I did some research and I created it. And then the more I got into it and the people were really interested in it, you know, over 10,000 people have taken it. It occurred to me, like, I, I want to become more scientific around the curiosity index. And so I have some scientists that are uh, in field right now doing those measurements. And so come January, we will have a validated instrument uh, that allows us to really be thoughtful and accurate about how we measure curiosity. 
That's amazing. And just to, you know, recognize that it started with your own curiosity. And then now here you are with something that will, I'm sure be really valuable to, it's already been valuable to over 10,000 people, like you said, but to even more after that, Robin, did I just cut you off? What were you going to say? No. Um, well, I just, I, no, go ahead. I was just going to say it. Um, you know, I've studied leadership practices for over, you know, three decades. And when I came upon curiosity, to me, it just like, it, it just stuck in my heart that, wow, if leaders could simply be more curious with their employees, what a difference it could make in how people feel and the results that we get. And I would imagine that some people look at that and say, well, that just sounds kind of silly or simple. But when you really look into the science of curiosity and what it does to the brain and then what it does for performance, um, it's extraordinary. Mm. Well, before we close, I have a couple of uh, lingering curiosities for you, Deborah. So one, um, what? well, one of our uh, our vision as a company is to awaken the world to the power and joy of authentic human connection, setting a new standard for leadership. And it goes on. But so we have our version of a standard for leadership that we're aspiring to. Um, what would your hope be for the future standard for leadership? I, I think that what the world needs now is this, a leader that genuinely cares about their employees and that, you, you know, you may use the word loving, you know, I use the word caring, um, but it's really coming forth with, I genuinely care about you and I want the best for you. Mm. Beautiful. Well, we align with that, I think. (laughs) Um, And then another question, just what is something that people that are listening to this wouldn't know about you, but that you would love for them to know? Maybe something unexpected. All right. Well, this is going to be really crazy. And you're going to say, I can't believe it. (laughs) But on September 23rd, I'm doing a one woman show off Broadway in New York. No way. Yes. Yeah, that's amazing. How so cool. it's going to be a um, it's a it's a one woman show that is about my experience going from a route driver to the boardroom and kind of the funny things that have happened in my life along the way in corporate America and about the power of the woman's voice in terms of collectively, if we're in it together, what what's really possible. Wow. How cool is that? Oh, that is fabulous. We've got to let us know, like, at can we get ticket anyway? Now I, I, I want to know all the things. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I'm. You know, I think we're moving towards a close. But um, if where can people find you, and if you want them to? Yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so you, you just uh, you know DebraClary.com. I have a website, and um, be happy to help anyone that's on their curiosity journey. Um, I've done a, a ton of research, but always open to learning more from others and would welcome conversations. Wonderful. Yeah, but before we close, I'd love to know, is there any one piece of practical guidance, practice, or anything that you would suggest that we haven't already touched on for somebody who says, I want to get more curious or I want to practice this? What would you, what would you recommend? Yeah, my recommendation would be is when you awake in the morning and you're thinking about your day, and if you're looking at your calendar, say, 
where are ways in which today these people I'm going to interact with that I might be able to ask questions where they feel valued and heard? Mm-hmm. I love the intentionality of that, right? To really set, to look at this as your day and actually be intentional about where could you actually put curiosity into practice right from the start. Mm-hmm. Gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Thank okay. you. Um, well, we always close with what we learned from the conversation because, and Deborah, you'll be familiar with this, but we think the test for listening and authentic listening is learning. And in the spirit of, were we really curious in this conversation? Robin, what did you learn? Well, I think while we had sort of started to touch on it, I hadn't had the thread pulled quite as clearly as I did today around curiosity being the elixir of belonging. I think that's, there's something really gorgeous about that. And like, again, while we've been talking about it, I don't think I've heard it said quite as clearly as that. Um, So for me, that's a real standout around the value of curiosity in organizational life. Mm. Thanks. Deborah, what about you? Assuming that you got to learn something from us. Absolutely. (laughs) What, um, What was present for me was, Um, my desire now to go deeper in the conversant tools. You know, it's been a minute since I've looked at them and now I'm curious about, I want to go, I want to go deeper in understanding the the tools so I can become a more authentic leader. Awesome. Well, Robin, that makes me think we might have a gift to send you, Deborah. So we have a new thing that I've recently been developing that you might enjoy. So I like it your way. A holiday, a holiday gift. We, we Um, We have one coming your way then. Yes. Wonderful. Thank you. Um, And for me, I think um, really just this awareness of how questions can have such a different spectrum of being received and what's the spirit behind them that's present for other people. And we might assume that they can't read that in us. Um, But we're a little foolish to think that people can't, can't read us, I think. So just a, a renewed appreciation for that. And I'll be watching, I think, about the <laughs> questions I'm asking and where where's the intention? Um, what would what is with what spirit am I asking? So Beautiful. well, well Deborah, Deborah, thank you again. Yeah, thank oh my you. gosh, what a wonderful way to spend an afternoon. So thank you. Oh, for, thank you for having me. It was a it was a joy. Well, you're welcome anytime. Uh thanks for kicking off our 2023 season of the podcast and uh we'll make sure that everybody gets the information on where you can find deborah and learn more about what she's been learning and including when her one woman show is and how you can get connected to it thank you (laughs) all right have a good one bye everybody bye all this episode was produced by guy Connolly. Original artwork is by Dana Buckingham, and music is by a cast of characters. Special thanks to Conversant's extended community who inspire the continued evolution of our work and stand with us in our commitment to change leadership, business, and the world through conversation. You can learn more about Conversant at www.conversant.com. On Connection is created and produced by the members of Conversant. Awakening the world to the power and joy of authentic human connection, we set a new standard for leadership that produces meaningful, enduring impact. Until next time.